Hello and welcome to So What You're Saying Is. We are in Budapest this week because we have been at a conference organised by the Danube Institute about the current state of geopolitics. Now, the keynote speech this morning was given by my guest to say, I'm delighted to say, uh, is the former Prime Minister of Australia, the Honourable Tony Abbott. Um, thank you very much for joining us, Tony. Thanks for having me, Peter. It's, it's, it's great. Um, I'd like to refer to one thing you said in your speech today. It sort of struck a chord. If you could just maybe um, talk a bit more about it. You said, um, you quoted a line which was, history uh, is a good teacher but a bad master. Um, are we living in a time where history is our master at the moment? Uh, it's interesting how many people will use history for their own purposes, but in so doing, uh, they tend to take a pretty one-sided view of history. Now, uh, if you look at someone like Vladimir Putin, um, he uh, is using history against the people of the Ukraine, talking about Kiev and Rus, uh, talking about the hundreds of years in which uh, the Ukraine was part uh, of greater Russia. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, uh, for a long time, the Ukrainian people have had a very strong sense of national identity. Um, we shouldn't forget the Holdemore, uh, yeah. Stalin's man-made famine uh, against the, uh, uh, the farmers uh, of the Ukraine, one of the great bread baskets of the world. We shouldn't forget the fact that there was uh, really 10 years of uh, guerrilla fighting against the Soviets uh, after 1945 in the Ukraine. So, so <laughs> we need to have, as far as we humanly can, uh, a, a fulsome view of history rather than a partial view of history, uh, because properly understood, uh, there is no perfection um, there is no monopoly of wisdom, there is no monopoly of insight. Um, all peoples and all countries have done good things and bad things. Nevertheless, when you do look at the history of the world over the last couple of centuries, I think we can say that America has been uh, a relatively benign superpower. Before that, Britain was a relatively benign uh, superpower and under the American-led world order of the last few decades, we have had the best times in human history. And that's why the very dramatic challenge that we are now seeing to that world order uh, from Russia, from China, is uh, pretty concerning. And my fear is that what we're seeing in Eastern Europe is not just a struggle between two countries. What we're seeing in East Asia is not yes. just an issue between China and what they say is a rebel province, but it could be a pivotal point mm. in history leading to a period of eclipse of liberal values and an eclipse of the democracies. And that's why it's so important that we are alert to this and do whatever we can uh, to try to stop it from happening. You made a, a statement there which I would agree with, uh, but which uh, would seem to many people to be controversial now, which is that America was a benign superpower and Britain was basically a benign mm -hmm. superpower. Why do you think those two countries seem now to be intent on portraying themselves in an entirely different way? 
This is a very good question and the cultural self-loathing which is now all too often evident in Anglo-American universities um, seeping into so many other parts of uh, English-speaking societies uh, is, is both unjustified because uh, there has never been less racism. Uh, minorities have never had a fairer go uh, than now. So it's, so it's unjustified uh, in fact, and it's dreadfully destructive in practice. Um, I imagine that uh, if Martin Luther King stood up today and said, uh, judge me on the content of my character, not the color of my skin, in lots of English speaking universities, he'd be, he'd be howled yeah. down yeah, yeah. because we are now supposed to judge people precisely by the color of their skin. Yes. White people bad, black people good. Well, the truth is uh, all of us, whatever our ethnicity or skin color, um, can do good and bad things. And the challenge for all of us, black, white, whatever, is to try to be our best selves. Yeah. And that requires um, being given a fair go. Yeah. And there's not a lot of tolerance around today, uh, and there should be. Uh, you mentioned as well on that subject in, mm. in your uh, address today um, that despite there being less racism, mm. etc., um, that the elites in what you might call the Anglosphere are obsessed with these things, mm. Mm. Uh, but at the same time they don't criticise other cultures mm. for the various mishaps. Mm. Where has that obsession come from? Well, I, I, again, it, it comes, I think, from this cultural self-loathing, which is completely unjustified. I'm not saying there haven't been blemishes on the record. I'm not saying there aren't still imperfections, but um, one of the things that's often bandied around in criticism uh, of, uh, of, of Anglo-American societies is supposed Islamophobia. Now, the people who are so quick to detect Islamophobia in Britain and America are almost completely silent about what's happening in Xinjiang province mm. and what looks very much like the genocide of the Uyghurs. Now, mm. you know, I'm not saying that Uyghurs should be put up on a pedestal any more than anyone else should be put up on a pedestal, yeah. but human beings, regardless of their ethnicity or their religion uh, or their gender or their race, should all be given a fair go. And that yeah. certainly doesn't appear to be happening at the hands of the Beijing government in Western China. Do you think therefore that, you know, Russia um, is obviously looks at the West and sort of says, well, you know, it's pretty impotent, it's pretty weak. Do you think we are weak and impotent? Well, we're not as weak and as impotent as uh, the Russians or sorry, at least as, as Putin and the Beijing government uh, often suspects, but I do sometimes think we're weaker mm. and less potent than we should be. Mm. Uh, and I'm not saying that uh, uh, we should be triumphalist. I'm not saying that uh, the Anglosphere should attempt uh, to um, impose upon others our particular way of doing things. But I think we should be proud of what we've done, uh, which is on balance a very good story and I think we should be unapologetic in putting forward a point of point of view. Yes.
Um, just briefly, if we could, it's coming out, what England is coming out of COVID anyway. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can say the world maybe has seen mm -hmm. the worst of it. Um, in geopolitical sense, or mm -hmm. even in just in a cultural sense, what do you think, what do you think are going to be the main effects of what we've been through? Uh, obviously, you can't spend the trillions in dealing with COVID yeah. that uh, have been spent and not significantly weaken yourselves economically. Uh, sooner or later, because there's no such thing as a money tree, uh, all of this debt is going to have to be repaid. And the countries and the peoples that became incredibly dependent uh, upon effectively money printing over the last couple of years and before that as well since the GFC are going to have to learn that in the end uh, you can only spend what you raise in yes. taxes. Yeah. So, 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 so I think there's going to be a, a difficult economic overhang and I fear that some of the ways of thinking that we've got into will be hard to shake. The other anxiety I've got is that we've seen unprecedented restrictions on freedom, uh, unprecedented growth in government, and that will take a while to roll back. And I hope that we can swiftly recover our robust independence of mind and action and get right away from this situation uh, where we all too readily accept the judgment of unaccountable unelected experts yeah. uh, and we have elected and accountable politicians all too often hiding behind unelected and unaccountable experts um, and and simply accepting whatever advice they give us now what is the point of having an elected government if its job job is simply to implement the views of so-called experts particularly given when it comes to value judgments, mm. uh, experts often have no particular insights. And in any event, the experts are often as divided as the rest mm. of us. Um, um, there's, a, there's a view that um, all uh, epidemiologists supported lockdowns. Well, mm. that's not correct. Yes, exactly. Absolutely yeah. false. Just as there's a view that um, all scientists um, uh, believe in the so-called climate science. Well, uh, sure, there may be a lot of people in the science world who for all sorts of, a reason, all sorts of reasons subscribe to the establishmentarian view, but there are certainly plenty of uh, climate scientists like Richard Linson and Judith Curry yep. uh, who would respectfully dissent uh, from what is thought to be uh, the consensus in inverted commas, just as there were plenty of epidemiologists like um, uh, Gupta of Oxford uh, and Ioannidis of Stanford, who would have dissented from the uh, uh, Niall Ferguson uh, Imperial College view. Many would do that, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, Mr. Albert, we're talking about reaction to COVID there. Um, and what we have to change and come out of. Um, but a lot of people have been very surprised by our reaction to it. Mm -hmm. uh, and in particular in, in Britain, one hears a lot about Australia. And people think, well, I really am surprised mm. Australia. 
Are you surprised at the Australian reaction? Look, I was surprised uh, that uh, um, larrikin egalitarian Australians uh, proved uh, so um, ready yeah. to submit to uh, the dictates of, uh, of government. Uh, but someone made a very interesting point. I think it might have been Clive James, not in the context of the pandemic, but uh, the point I think it was Clive uh, made was not so much that Australians are defend, uh, descended from convicts, but we're actually descended from prison guards. Maybe that explains <laughs> why we were so docile <laughs> in the face of uh, all yeah. these uh, instructions we yes. got from government. Yes. You obviously were born in and uh, educated in, in Britain. Mm -hmm. When you look at Britain now from the outside, what do you see? I mean, we seem to live in perpetual crisis. Look, um, I, I think one of the problems that Britain has had for a long, for a long time now is defeatism and declinism mm. amongst the British establishment. Um, I'd forgotten just how entrenched this was uh, until I read Andrew Roberts' bio of Churchill. Um, the British establishment was uh, riddled with defeatism and declinism uh, in the 1930s. Uh, and of course, we saw plenty of that in yeah. the aftermath of, uh, of the Second World War. Um, Thatcher was a magnificent antidote to so much of that. In a very different way, I think Tony Blair was an, an antidote to much of that. And at his best, Boris Johnson is an antidote to that as well. Uh, the great thing about Boris Johnson is that uh, he is such a vibrant, optimistic individual at his best. Um, and uh, that's what we want. Uh, we want our leaders to be at their best. And is he at his best, do you think? Well, I probably shouldn't get involved in offering commentary on day-to-day uh, -day British politics, but let me just just make this point. Um, I absolutely understand that the general public get very irritable when they think there's one rule for them and a different rule for people in government. But you know, Dan Andrews, the Premier of Victoria, the author of the world's longest lockdown, he was fined twice, twice, right. for breaking his own lockdown rules. Right. No one says he should resign. Right. Well, there's a moral in there somewhere. Mm. I shall try and figure it out. Mm. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. Mm. Albert. Thank you very much. Thanks, Peter. Thank you. That's it for a very brief but fascinating So What You're Saying Is, and we shall see you next time. Thank you.